That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Good day and hello, everybody. It's good to have you with us. We're looking forward to a terrific show. Today's edition of the Great America Show will feature a closer look at the Biden White House policies that appear to be, what is the word, Uh, otherworldly policies that are all but incomprehensible and inexplicable whenever the White House decides to try to explain something, which is rarely. Their policies and decisions are, what is the right word? Well, definitely, it is, I'm sticking with otherworldly. Those policies and presidential decisions are just downright incoherent. The, the word I'm looking for, though, is without question, otherworldly. And I'm not suggesting now before everybody gets excited on the left and uh, we see the left wing media gin up and attack me. I'm not suggesting that President Biden and his cohorts in the White House are extraterrestrial or anything like that. But they are different, different in so many ways, different in their thinking, their attitudes, their regard for anyone who isn't a leftist Marxist acolyte. Here's an example. All hell could break loose, in my opinion, on the Ukraine eastern border with Russia at any moment if Vladimir Putin were to invade. Chinese President Xi making his usual threats against Taiwan and in this country, 78 law enforcement officers killed last month, last month, and street violence is spreading mostly in large Democrat-run cities. Biden's legislative agenda went up in flames on Capitol Hill. Only ashes are still smoldering there. His poll numbers a disaster, and Mrs. Biden has to lead him off stage and down steps. So what's his newest initiative? President Biden now wants to unionize the entire federal government workforce. Unions are at their weakest, lowest level in American history. So Biden wants to unionize the government, not only federal employees, but all contractors who work with the federal government and for the federal government. And that is a huge number. All to benefit unions that are all but dead in this country. These are peculiar and frightening times under this Biden presidency, folks, and scary. And yes, downright otherworldly. And guess who showed up? The always reliably anti-Trump If you'll just put him on the Sunday talk shows, Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, who among his many other transgressions against President Trump and the nation, accused the 45th and 47th president of inciting the January 6th Capitol Hill riot. So guess what the good old reliable Chris Christie did? He started walking back his accusation. The big old Obama hugger never lasts too long, though, with any position he takes. Who knows what he's doing and why at any time. And today we're taking up the January 6th outrage on this edition of The Great America Show. President Trump is fed up with the Republican leadership playing patty cake with the duller Democrats running the January 6th Inquisition. Mr. Trump blames the Democrats for all that happened that day. And as usual, his logic is absolutely spot on. And the facts support him conclusively. The former president says there would have been no problem of any kind that day had Speaker Pelosi and the Democratic leadership on Capitol Hill simply listened to him and brought in 10,000 National Guardsmen to help keep order during that huge Capitol Hill rally. Pelosi famously refused, or infamously, if you prefer, refused. The rest is history. Of course, it's history. Pelosi and the radical Dems are now trying to rewrite with their January 6th Soviet-era show trial. We'll be taking all of that up with our first guest today, 
Our first guest is Congressman Matt Gates, a great American, a stout and stalwart supporter of President Trump, a friend of mine and all conservatives. And Congressman, great to have you with us. Thanks for being with us on The Great America Show. Oh, it's great to be with you, Lou, but it is so troubling to see that we are now in a new theater of the Joe Biden war on work. That is really going to be one of the main legacies of his one-term presidency, that you, you really have never had uh, a, a more aggressive attempt by the federal government to harm workers in this country, whether that's through the mandates that they've utilized, whether that's through the explosion in unemployment benefits that they've paid out for people to stay home and not work. And now you look at this effort to unionize the federal workforce. Now, there are a lot of good folks all across the country that are in unions that are very grateful when we stand up and fight against um, the unchecked immigration and the surrender to China. But what unions do quite frequently, particularly public sector unions, is they protect those who are the least performing and they harm those who perform at the highest level, who would see accelerated careers and more opportunities and more pay. And you can't help but think that this is exactly what China wants out of our federal workforce. While they do everything they can to promote their smartest and to get their most technical people in a position to utilize stolen secrets to be able to advance their economy and their military, here we are teaching to the middle of the class thinning out the soup in the talent pool. And I think that we can't just evaluate this as a political play for Joe Biden to provide a rescue plan to unions. It's actually a geopolitical play that weakens us in comparison to the Chinese Communist Party. I, that's a great point. And I, I also wonder, for example, the, the post office has six public employee unions some of the largest unions in the country uh, are without a doubt public employee unions, government unions. And how much of the federal workforce isn't already uh, unionized? It, it seems like he wants to get every last scrap that he can on the federal payroll uh, into paying union dues. Uh, well, you, you and I both know that it is almost impossible to fire one of these you know, professional federal workers uh, as is. So now their effort to federally unionize, it, it, it will make it harder to promote and to advance and to accelerate people outside of the union boss approved banding. I, I do have to laugh at this, though, Lou. While Joe Biden is doing this, there's actually a movement afoot on Capitol Hill among Democrat staffers in the most left wing offices to unionize the workforce on Capitol Hill. Think about what a terrible idea that would be, but it's actually something that the left-wing politicians are having to deal with from their even more left-wing staff members. Yeah, left-wing staff members and, of course, the deep state throughout the federal government system, that's all they need is to be further uh, and intractably entrenched in their positions, uh, untouchable. Uh, and it's really what's it's happening, isn't it? The federal employee is becoming an untouchable. But it's the inverse of the Indian caste system. The untouchable is the strongest uh, member of the federal <laughs> workforce. No, you're, you're absolutely right. But the Brahmins, those we should lift up and honor most, uh, are those great Americans who go out there and you know, put on a uniform every day, who, who wear their name on their shirt, and uh, they want to be treated fairly by this government. It seems like the government is super interested in perpetuating itself but when it comes to the policy choices that actually would help regular folks out there doing private sector jobs, uh, picking up the slack where others are just at home cashing the unemployment check, uh, this Biden administration is actually an enemy to those folks. And uh, I think that, that it is a reason why you see America diminished in the world under this presidency. Yeah, and where are the world? You know, I, I always seem to have to ask this of you, Matt. But where is the Republican leadership right now on these issues? Where, where well, are you they know, standing up? We lack a vision right now in the Republican Party. And frankly, that is uh, because Donald Trump is not still in office 
uh, as our leader, you know, laying out that daily vision, reinforcing it with social media messaging, using the understanding of imagery and optics to encourage and inspire the American people to will this economy uh, and this nation forward. What you see right now from Republicans is, I think, a real identity crisis. Uh, there are some who think that if we retake power, it gives us tremendous leverage to maybe ne go and negotiate one or two things. Maybe we get, you know, another, you know, few shekels for the wall, or maybe we're able to get a little bit of internal enforcement of immigration, but no real uh, widespread confrontation and opposition to this corrupt Biden regime. I've laid out a different vision. I believe that we should start the Republican majority by saying every committee is now an oversight committee. Every committee is going to investigate the corrupt Biden departments that are pushing critical race theory on people that are targeting parents, as the Department of Justice did with an October 4th memo based on messages from the National School Board Association, which have now been rescinded. Uh, and, and, you know, throughout even what we're it was, talking uh, about was, now with the Department of Labor yeah. the, and, and the connection to the union bosses. And the school board memo uh, was incited. I'll use the the radical Dems uh, word. It was <laughs> incited by the education secretary uh, and the school board association to create that piece of propaganda. It is disgusting what this administration is doing, uh, whether it's uh, on Capitol Hill on January 6th or whether it is, uh, in fact, uh, on the border with illegal immigration uh, running rampant, the borders wide open. And of course, President Trump talking about his vision, he is sitting there at, at Mar-a-Lago saying to the Republican Party, what are you doing? I asked for 10,000 National Guardsmen on January 6th to help keep order. If they had been there instead of uh, not being there, uh, history would have been quite different. And by the way, that's that's on Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership on Capitol Hill. Don't you agree? I, I do. I, I don't want to lean too heavily into, you know, why did the Democrats not do more to you know, keep everything safe? Because they are using that pretext right now, Lou, to launch a broad war against the MAGA movement and against the America First movement, whether it's mm -hmm. people getting canceled from their banks, whether it's, you know, grandmothers in Homer, Alaska getting raided um, because somehow the feds think she's got Nancy Pelosi's laptop, which, of, of course, she, she didn't and wasn't even in Washington, D.C. So, so I think that the, the, the smarter questions to ask for Republicans, like, you know, why is it that you saw people almost booby trapped with fences taken down, people being waved in? And are we really in a world where if someone just didn't manifest the intent to commit a crime, that we're going to act like we have to lock them up, deprive them of lawyers, deprive them of religious services, so that we can maintain this fiction that there's something dangerous about Republicans? Because make no mistake about it, Lou, the entire Democrat strategy for 2022 is January 6, 2021. It is it is totally a look back and they're going to try to scare people into thinking that, you know, we, yeah. that, that the, the MAGA grandmother that lives down the street from you might be a domestic terrorist if you don't show up and vote for Democrats in the midterm elections. And, and I think we've got to confront that head on. The Republican leadership in Washington tell us just don't talk about January 6th anymore. Yeah, just, you, would, you, know, you knew uh, that. I knew that like was coming, Matt. I knew that was coming. Yep. You know, yep, and, and the, that the idea that the smart the thing, the idea that it's a smart thing not to look at the facts, I, I, I think is entirely wrong. I think you have to look at what president and, and you know, and think about President Trump's batting average here. Uh, you know, Babe Ruth, uh, Mickey Mantle didn't get close. Here's the deal. If we get the answer as to why they turned down those 10,000 troops, we can understand that the reason in part would be, certainly this is speculation, but could have been because they wanted to create madness on that hill and to divert some of those people and had the FBI in place there to do precisely that. That is another question that needs to be answered. And the Republicans keep walking away from the opportunity to get the answers. Why in the hell... Well, why in the hell can't the FBI honestly answer the U.S. Congress when it asks, 
how many FBI agents, informants, and uh, and operators did you have in that crowd that day? No, not only would they not answer that question, they wouldn't answer an even more precise question, which is whether or not any of the federal government's assets, agents, or operatives committed crimes on that day. Exactly. They wouldn't even they wouldn't even tell you that. I mean, you would think it would be uh, quite easy if there wasn't any participation in criminal activity for our own law enforcement and national security apparatus to step forward and say we can assure the country none of our assets, operatives, agents uh, engaged in any criminal activity that day. Full stop. Well, no sources and methods would be compromised. No, no great leak would occur, but they can't say it and I think that raises very important questions. And the, the real question is whether or not when we get control, we'll have the gumption to get answers. Because, you know, okay. we had the days of Paul Ryan and Trey Dowdy where we had the gavels and we did not send one freaking subpoena, not one. And yet I don't hear anyone calling out, uh, calling out uh, Kevin McCarthy who suddenly is coming out with all of this propaganda. He wants this, he wants that, he'd like to do this, whatever. Uh, some strong statements, but again, no action. Uh, he's running for something, and I got to tell you, I still don't trust the man. Cover. I think he is a rhino to the bone, and I don't believe if the Republican conference doesn't have the guts to get real conservative, America first leadership into the uh, in, into that uh uh, Congress uh, in 2022, uh, I, I think we're lost. And, and to see this nonsense continue. The man is a rhino. He is meek by nature. And we need people with vision, as you said. We need people with strength and energy uh, and, and values that matter. America first and making America great. I have great. proposed an alternative. I have proposed an alternative to Kevin McCarthy. I have committed to nominating Donald Trump for Speaker of the House when we take the majority. And yeah, I've even told the president, you could do the job for about three hours. You could walk in there. You could clean out uh, some of the, uh, I think, deep state elements that exist on Capitol Hill. And uh, we could realign, you know, behind a person like Jim Jordan. Uh, look, I think that uh, that election is a ways away. There's work to be done. But who will vote in that election will be the people who win these Republican primaries. And it's a very timely conversation we're having right now, Lou, because we're just about to go next month into primary season, March 1st, Texas. And that kicks it off and it runs all the way through New Hampshire in August. So that March to August time period, we're going to define what the energy and what the will to fight is going to be in the Republican conference. And look, you know, and I know this has a lot to do with political money. And there's a very corrupt system that is well mechanized in place to get money from political action committees and lobbyists, uh -huh. and leadership funds, you know, into the coffers of people in order to get them to vote a particular way on a leadership race. That happens. It, it is it is straight up. And it's one of the reasons why I'm the only Republican in the whole Congress that doesn't take any money from a single lobbyist or a single political action committee no matter what the type, no matter what the kind, because I find the whole thing very swampy. Yeah, swampy, uh, disgusting, abhorrent uh, are words that come to mind. But what I uh, what I don't understand is why he is even why he is even uh, even there. Tell me why. Money. It's money, Lou. Well, the, wait, the a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Let, let me. Let me finish the question a bit because I, I was sure. uh, sorrowfully incomplete there. Why is he there since you guys have been working with him for years? You know who he is. You know what he is. And you let this charade, you, not you, but the conference permits uh, this charade to go on. Uh, who does he think he's fooling? And why are we're sitting here with this and Mitch McConnell? Uh, if if President Trump were to take over the speakership, no one would be happier than me if it were a six, but but only if it were a six month stroll uh, through the House of Representatives, and then it gets on to, to campaign and win twenty twenty four. But I, I just it don't would see be it a happen. glorious stroll. Well, yeah. I mean, I could tell you why it happens. Uh, look, I mean, when we had an election following Paul Ryan's departure for who is going to be leader of our conference, uh, Jim Jordan ran and Kevin McCarthy ran. 
Now, do you think Kevin McCarthy offered the more inspirational campaign? Do you think Kevin McCarthy had the better message than Jim Jordan? Do you think Kevin McCarthy had more compelling moments demonstrating a will to fight than Jim Jordan? Of course not. But you know what he did? He raised a hell of a lot more money, tens of millions of dollars more, as a matter of fact. And then that money found its way to the benefit of the people who were able to vote in a secret ballot. Now, I could tell you I voted for Jim Jordan, and yet Jim Jordan was beat by a margin of about two to one in that election. So, I mean, it, this is not like some great mystery how it happens. It well, is I, a I, pay-for-play system on Capitol Hill with members of both parties. That is how the leadership is selected. And I, the alternative I'm offering is vision is to say, let's, you know, let's get everybody agreeing to convert these committees to oversight committees, and then let's hold the leadership to account. Because I don't care who gets the big titles. I care who actually does the work and actually sit, you know, gets the witnesses before the country to show our fellow Americans that their pains are connected to a corrupt regime. Okay, I've got, you know, I don't often argue about something, but I'm going to argue about that. Uh, the Speaker of the House and the uh, Majority Leader in the Senate are powerful, powerful jobs. And that's true. And uh, constitutionally, uh, even more important. And I want you to worry, and I want every Republican to worry about who in the hell we're sending into that House of Representatives, because in off-year elections, as you well know, Congressman, the incumbent president loses on average 26 seats in that House. And I, it's looking like every pollster I respect uh, is saying this is going to be a quote-unquote wave uh, election. And it really does matter who you, you send. I, I, one more rhino. Uh, I, I could use names here, but they are sickening and they're disgusting. And what they're doing to their districts and the people they represent is horrific. And the Republican Party has got to be sure that they are taking responsibility for whom they're electing. Uh, and I do mean the party, not, the, uh, not Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. Well, that starts with the activists who send us uh, victors in primary elections to represent our party. And if we get the firebrands, if we get the fighters, if we get the MAGA America First crew through, we've got the best opportunity to impact this place. And people should be encouraged. It actually doesn't take, you know, uh, that many people. I mean, you look at the squad. The squad started as four people, and now the entire Democratic Party looks and sounds like the squad. So we should maybe take a page out of their playbook and use aggressive communication tools, call out people with their inconsistent with our values, engage in primaries to get the right candidates over the line. And then I believe we could be a rudder for the Republican conference uh, and get us going in the right direction. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right in that. I, I, the problem is exactly what you enunciated at the beginning. There is a lack of vision. Uh, there's no contract with America or for America. There is no uh, green plan. There is no, uh, like uh, AOC, no, uh, no leader for the, for the ideological energy within the uh, conference. And that's crazy. And it's time for it to be fixed. And by the way, I've got to give Kevin McCarthy is doing one thing. He publicly, he publicly divested the Chamber of Commerce from, uh, from the uh, Republican uh, conference. Now, do, now, should I believe him or is this just more, uh, you know, cosmetic paint on the wall? Well, there are many Republicans who are wringing their hands and wetting their beds in hopes that the PACs and special interests will return to donating to them. And what you and I both know is that there is a complex web of shell committees and leadership PACs. Uh, and, you know, 527 organizations that all this money is it's quite fungible and it shifts around, you know, so some people, they don't take corporate PAC money, but they take ideological PAC money. And it, and it all is kind of emitting from the same place, the same people who are funding entities like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, a group that seems to fight for everything except the U.S. and her commerce. Uh, and it, that's why I think the entire K Street experience for Republicans should be divested. If the Democrats and the woke corporations and the special interests want each other, let them have each other. And let's go out there and get hardworking Americans who love our country. Let's reset this political map. Let's go win and compete in states in, in the Midwest and the American Southwest like we never have before. 
and let's let's bring people into that vision of oversight of the Biden regime and then a return to the policies, principles and style that Donald Trump brought to our great nation. If you guys waste this election, I will never, ever forgive the Republican Party because this president has been a disaster from A through Z. Uh, he has made every mistake that uh, imaginable. He is a disgrace. Uh, and you, and if you, if your party, if your party messes this up, I, I, I mean, it's I, I don't know if the party would survive. Well, if we can't if we can't win this one, we probably won't survive. I mean, we yeah. have every tailwind. Now we just got to get out there and do it. Absolutely. Oh, I got to ask you just very quickly your thoughts about uh, Trudeau in Canada and his. Uh, is rather let them eat cake view of uh, Canadian truckers. And do you think that we're going to see uh, a contagion uh, that will extend to lower North America, that is into the United States and see our truckers uh, ever respond to the same way that the Canadian truckers had to do? But fortunately, our truckers haven't been treated as badly yet, but courage is contagious. And whether it's, you know, the flight attendants or the pilots or uh, the uh, police or the nurses uh, who have stood up against these mandates. I'm in solidarity with all of them. You know, with, uh, with Trudeau, it seems like he's got either a dose of COVID-19 or coward-19. Who can even tell anymore? Um, but the, the, you know, utilization of the government to punish the working people of the country is typically not something that ends well over the course of human history. And our neighbors to the north should take note of that. And by the way, we should also take note that the American people are first afraid of their own government right now, whether it is an attorney general talking about domestic terrorists, as he describes uh, parents in a school board meeting who get unruly because they're protesting the treatment of their children, or whether it is a lack of, of, of community control over city governments because the unions have taken over, because the left has decided to dominate at every level. Uh, it goes on and on. Uh, and government as the enemy of the people is a dangerous thing, as you point out. And it is exactly a danger, a prominent danger right now in America, unfortunately. As always, uh, Congressman, we give our guests the last word, and this is your opportunity. And thanks, thanks, Congressman, for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for being uh, such a, a guiding light for our movement. I would invite folks to also. Uh, subscribe to my podcast called Firebrand. We release it every Thursday morning, and uh, it's a great way to catch up on what's going on behind the scenes in Washington. That's Firebrand, folks, and I recommend it to you highly. Uh, the talent is uh, exceptional on that podcast, I must say. Uh, I appreciate it so much, Matt. Thanks for being with us, and uh, we will uh, we'll be uh, hawking Firebrand uh, rigorously on this broadcast this podcast and uh thanks for much so much for being with us thank you my friend thank you congressman matt gates a great american he is uh, i would like the republican party to take his energy his judgment his logic his intelligence and values and replicate it across 434 other seats uh for for consideration, if you will, in selecting the new Congress. We appreciate your being with us. We're going to continue with the Great America Show. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. You know, this may not be certainly typical of this show, but wow. I, I just have to start with Joe Rogan. Man, when you have two zillion people following your podcast, some of those crazy haters on the fringe the fringe left will certainly go crazy. And that's what we're witnessing. And there's some positive developments I want to share with you. And the last week, uh, you know, over the last week, I was pleased to see a few folks step up for Joe Rogan uh, and support him, including The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Then it's discovered Joe Rogan had said some ugly things over the years one particular word, a racial slur that he acknowledges he said, and he also apologized. And it, you could tell it was heartfelt. But it turns out The Rock isn't. The Rock isn't a rock, I mean. Very disappointing to me. I thought he was standing up for a pal. 
and maybe the First Amendment even. And then he hears that Joe Rogan had used a racial slur on his podcast from years past. And The Rock almost immediately shrinks to pebble size and backs away from Joe. Not a good move and certainly not a good look, Rock. Can I still call you Rock? Should I call you Rock? I think probably not now. But we'll be talking about the Spotify CEO, Daniel Eck, who finally stood up for Rogan, shut down the leftist cannibals who are trying to devour Joe Rogan, you know, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, and their ilk. We'll be talking about the CEO who is shutting down the cancel culture on his platform, Spotify. Speaking of rocks, a shout out to Steve Bannon, who is the creator and host of the powerhouse podcast, Bannon's War Room. I want to thank him for having me on his highly successful, hugely successful War Room. I was a guest on the War Room last Friday, even though Steve and I are old friends and we look at the world in amazingly similar ways. I was struck by just how much fun it can be to sit down with someone in an interview with whom you have agreement rather than disagreement. Uh, it was fun to be talking with a kindred spirit, a patriot, a conservative, plain spoken. As they say, Steve and I are simpatico, and a hoot it was. Thanks again, Steve. Appreciate it. And now I want to bring in Dom Giordano, radio talk show host, a Philadelphia radio legend. He started out as an elementary and high school teacher, and now he's one of the hundred most influential radio talk hosts in the entire country. Dom, great to have you with us here on The Great America Show. How are you, my friend? Well, tremendous, Lou. Thank you very much. And uh, one of those uh, things with radio is when I would sit in for Lou Dobbs. That was a big jump for me. Well, you're, you're kind of say that. You know, you and I have been friends a long time. Uh, we've been in this, uh, this broadcasting stuff a long time. And I, I don't think I've ever seen a situation where anyone uh, as successful as Joe Rogan who is delivering an audience that would be unthinkable in broadcasting and radio or television, either one, in any other medium. And here he is being attacked from every quarter. Oh, wait a minute. Not every quarter. It's just from the left. The left, who were once, you know, I'm a product of the 60s. The left once was all about free speech, free spirits, free, free thought. And now they're coming, uh, coming at people like fascist, your reaction? Yeah, Lou, I've been asking that question too, particularly with Neil Young. I don't impute to say Neil Young just to get his name out there or whatever, or Howard Stern, but there are people that now that used to be counterculture or at least freedom of speech for whatever reason, that now revel in this authoritarianism, which is sometimes petty, sometimes severe, I've had on some national people talking about this. We still don't know what the motivation is with this type of virtue signaling. Uh, but the thing that jumps out of me are the number of conservatives who have been principled on Whoopi Goldberg, for example, and have said, look, we don't like where she was going with this stuff on the Holocaust, certainly. Everyone knows trying to diminish that or coming up with this, uh, whatever was in her mind is inappropriate. I'm but sorry, not calling sorry, for Don. her to be fired, not not saying anything no. like that, understanding that uh, in the heat of, of things, people may make mistakes or sometimes say things that they have to apologize for. And if they do apologize, we ought to move on. But there there are this gang on the other side that I believe Lou, part of it is it's kind of like an avocation for some of these people, meaning. This is what they, uh, it's like a hobby I've seen up close. It's always another target, always bringing someone else down and celebrating that. And Rogan is even under fire from a, a weekend host on MSNBC. Oh, no, not a weekend host on MSNBC. Bringing <laughs> well, Lou, was all of that awesome NBC power to bear. I mean, the guy... I mean, they don't have an audience during the week, let alone on the weekend. Well, that may be true, but I found this to be unusual. It wasn't the usual line of attack. She thought, how does an ordinary guy like this get 11 million people on podcasts? Something's wrong with that. There's a jealousy factor here too, Lou, I think. They can't oh, understand oh, big time. why a lot of people 
would listen to talk radio, listen to your podcast or Joe Rogan's podcast, they resent that part of it deep down too. Yeah. Well, you know, they're small people, they're petty people, but you know what? I don't give them a pass. I don't give uh, Joni Mitchell a pass or Neil Young or any of the other uh, virtual signal, uh, virtue signaling uh, cannibals of the left. I mean, they're really going after Rogan uh, just simply because they think they can. Uh, they want relevance. I don't know. I'm not going to psychoanalyze them. I'm just going to say they're very, to me, uh, they're being very ugly. Uh, there's absolutely no no room in this uh, in this country for those who want to shut down the thoughts and expression of fellow citizens. This is a free country with free expression, and you know you know nothing offends me quite as much I, I, as as somebody burning the flag or disrespecting the flag. I mean, I went. It drove me nuts to watch those athletes uh, in uh, the NBA and, uh, and to listen to some of their ridiculous remarks uh, on the sidelines of NFL games kneeling. I, I mean, that's I was offended. Let me tell you. And by the way, I'm just one of tens of millions of people in this country who were offended. Why isn't there that same reaction? Uh, to when we're offended, should we, I mean, did we go out, you know, asking people to, uh, uh, throw them off the football team? No. Uh, or, or the basketball team, whatever it was, we didn't, we expressed our concern, our alarm and our, our disgust at what they were doing. So why in the world do we tolerate the left simply because they're the left? acting and behaving in such disgustingly un-American uh, ways. Well, Lou, I think we are, it's a slow but sure process. We're seeing more independents, more other people say, you know what, this has gone way too far. The only group that I'm worried about, though, very worried about, are people of college age and a little bit beyond. They are still steeped in this. There's going to take a lot of years to get them out of it. In polling, they agree with cancel culture. I mean, they, they at the University of um, Georgetown University, we have the law school people wanting to have a place to cry because of a, a law professor Shapiro, who's a libertarian, <laughs> remarking <laughs> a place to cry and reparations because this guy says something about Biden and a Supreme Court pick in a pretty elevated way, challenging the idea of affirmative action or what appears right. to be affirmative right. action. That's the, those are the people I worry about that have been steeped in this for may, their entire childhood and now even through law school. But beyond that, we are seeing a pushback on this. And I think, as I said, conservatives, not jumping in on Whoopi Goldberg, for example, are setting an example and then using that as a launch point to attack cancel culture. Yeah. I, you know, launch points, I, all of that is, as I would expect from you, is very sophisticated, but I'm, I'm more of a, a direct fella on, on a lot of things. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg said what she said. If ABC doesn't like it, it's their, their shop. They can right. pull, pull the pin if they want to. I think they're doggone fools if they do, uh, because she has an audience. She is, I mean, that program is about being provocative. It's about outrageous ideas. Uh, that if you wanted to really get serious about politics and society, I don't think you would pick those four or five people as the leading uh, intellectual luminaries that you might want to have assess, analyze, and uh, recommend uh, for uh, their conclusions. I, I just don't think it's that's the point. The point is it's entertainment. Take it for what it is. Uh, and, and that brings us to Daniel Eck, who finally, I said last week, Daniel Eck, your first job as CEO of Spotify is to stand up for your talent, for your artists, for your performers. And you know that they had him so far, I think, on the run. I think it took him a while to get his feet under him. But he finally stands up and says, we're not canceling Joe Rogan. We're not going to give in. These are my words. He didn't say this, but this is the effect of what he said. We're not going to give in to these, this cannibalistic bloodlust on the part of the left. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, I have to say to him, congratulations and thank you for standing up for the First Amendment, for Joe Rogan, for free speech. 
your thoughts. Oh, absolutely, Lou. And uh, I've seen that uh, he's been rewarded, at least in the short term. The stock is up 15%. There are good signs. But the New York Times editorial page now, they have a new thing. They say they're calling all out on Taylor Swift to take her music away from Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> to stay. Oh. <laughs> and let us not forget, as a backdrop, Mr. The President and first, former First Lady, they're on Spotify. They have not pulled out. They have not publicly threatened to pull out. And the New York Times editorial. Well, he's got a he's got a big mansion in Hawaii yes. to pay for. Yeah. Now he's got to be he's got to be thoughtful here. By the way, well, did you this, see that scowling face he had when he was? Oh, uh, with the uh, seawall wasn't going well there. Yes. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of a strange thing that this man who is all about climate change and. Uh, and, and builds his mansions and buys his mansions right next to the ocean. He doesn't seem to be too worried about all of that uh, climate change and higher seas as a result. I, and, and he's standing there without a mask and everybody around him. By the way, if there's any confusion here, it, we're talking about Barack Obama, the former president of the United States, standing there scowling about the work, apparently, that his architects and yes. his builders were doing. Well, Lou, the part of the New York Times editorial that really got me at the end, though, is where I come down with uh, Rogan, and that is the health of the country, they say, is at risk with this guy. This is how preposterous it's gotten that uh, people actually believe that people listening to Rogan think they're getting medical advice, mainly. And when I've listened, because I'm intrigued, Lou, as a talk radio host, what he does to draw this number of people he has endorsed Mrs. Obama as a presidential candidate. He likes a lot of Bernie Sanders' ideas. Yep. He talks a lot about drug legalization of one sort or another. He's a Democrat, for crying out loud. Yes, and mixed martial arts thrown in. <laughs> so the idea that he's fixated on COVID, he reminds me a lot in a different kind of way, in a roguish kind of way, a little bit different than Larry King, who used to say, I'm not prepared at all. I just want to learn and throw the ball to a guest or two. I wouldn't recommend it to do that as a talk host, but there's that authentic appeal to this. And yeah. he's kind of an every man. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I, I gotta, Tom, you got me defending Joe Rogan in more than one way. And I, I'm defending him in terms of the, his right to free expression uh, and the first amendment and what he said. Uh, and, and his slurs that he made are, uh, you know, regrettable and he regrets them and he apologized, but the man has a sensibility, uh, and a, uh, an intellect. Uh, and, and I think he does a terrific job. I mean, I just really do. I, in this case, I would say 200 million people can't be wrong about this guy. I mean, this is an unprecedented audience. Um, and Larry King, by the way, he meant exactly what he said. He didn't know. I, you know, I knew Larry worked with Larry for years, 20 years. He didn't do a, he didn't do an ounce of research on anything or anyone. No, and what I meant is that, uh, Rogan is not a doctrinaire. He's not trying to indoctrinate anybody about anything. As far as right. I can tell. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. Chance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not a time in our country for people to be telling others what to do because, you know, these mandates, and I'm not talking about just the overt authoritarian mandates of the CDC, the NIH, the White House, this White House in particular. I'm talking about anybody who is sitting there insisting that somebody think the way you think as Joni Mitchell and mm -hmm. Neil Young. Who are they uh, to, to the arrogance of it all? Uh, isn't anybody offended by just outright ball face arrogance and, and the abuse of their pol their public positions uh, as performers, artists, talent? It, it's it's outrageous because they just aren't the people you're going to go to uh, for consideration on a host of issues. I might go to them. I wouldn't might if it were about music, if it was about uh, uh, songwriting. You know, I'd be all about listening to them, uh, but the rest of it, you know, uh, as I said, a product of the 60s, I've been there, I've seen that, uh, and the left is becoming increasingly fascistic rather than uh, more American, and it's un-American to go in the direction we're headed, I think. Let, let's turn to uh, Stacey Abrams with that horrible picture 
uh, in the front of a class of children. They look to be somewhere around, I'm going to guess, six or seven years of age, uh, all in mask, and she is sitting, sitting there uh, without a mask, beaming in the midst of those children. And you're not supposed to put kids that young in mask. It's just not done. Carbon dioxide, it affects their minds. Uh, it's, not, it's just outrageous what they're insisting on doing. Uh, and people seem to be just clueless. Whatever the school of thought, whatever the policies, uh, it's terrible. Stacey Abrams with those kids, Obama with those uh, workers, Gavin Newsom with Magic Johnson, uh, the mayor of Los Angeles holding his breath. He said he didn't, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't inhale anything. <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, Lou, exactly. And uh, I think Abrams, and she's right about this, uh, gets a pass, the media principally. She's able to do this. The kids are not at risk. She might be more at risk if she believes in if people have said, yeah, she does believe in wearing a mask. They tried to say she only took it off to speak, and that appears to be not true. Here in Philadelphia, Philadelphia public schools are now demanding, starting today, an N95 or something like an N95 mask. They've gone beyond the cloth mask. I only wore that last week just to see for an hour or so what it would be like. It's ghastly. And to take little ones, first grade, second grade, kindergarten, and expect them seven or eight hours a day to do that, to be able to focus, to pay attention, et cetera. Philadelphia Public Schools has a lot bigger problems, but that's on paper what they demanded starting today. Yeah, and some jurisdictions are saying to their school children, no more masks. It's yes. uh, it's outrageous. They're, they're not the ones who've been sick. They're not the ones who have been, uh, uh, for whom the disease is uh, the most lethal. Uh, this is there's been this ridiculous uh, attempt on the part of the CDC government uh, to to make it uh, one size fits all the same advice, the same shot, the same vaccine, the same uh, uh, priorities for all for everyone, except when they put together the order for the vaccine. They went with those most uh, vulnerable populations first, that is the older folks, mm -hmm. uh, 75 and older, then 65 and older, 50 and older. And the reality is, we know what the reality is. The, 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 the virus was not affecting children. And what was affecting children were the shutdowns, the mass, and the terrible indifference on the part of our public health officials to the well-being of the most underserved uh, communities in this country. It's outrageous. And this business of listening to government like uh, it's the fount of all wisdom and truth, when in fact, it is the opposite in most in most cases. I agree. And Lou, the thing that gets me as a former teacher, the teachers unions, the one silver lining in this have outed themselves forever. Randy Weingarten, particularly the AFT, but the NEA, yeah. they are clearly now seen by more and more people I have people that say, well, I vaguely didn't like the teachers union, but everybody deserves a right to a representative on the national level now. So my hope is that some teachers are starting to push back, but it's very difficult, very difficult in a school when you have one of these giant organizations. Weingarten, though, has had to delete a lot of tweets and the, uh, the unions have been a driving force. I think it's just a power thing to say, remember, we shut these schools down. We can do it again when a contract comes up. You know what? It's time for everybody to understand until parents in this country to take charge and risk being called a domestic terrorist, by the way, if they raise their voice at a school board meeting or a county supervisor's meeting in some jurisdictions. Uh, but certainly the attorney general will uh, thinks of <laughs> unruly parents as domestic terrorists. We've got a government that's working against us. And when you say it's a power thing, I, I, I want to be more, I think I'd like to be more specific. This is a question of who runs this country. And parents are going to run the schools. Parents and the community are going to run those schools. Not, not Randy Weingarten and the uh, Federation of Teachers and the NEA. Uh, it, there's nothing, there's no way to pussyfoot around this. This is a pure, raw political power issue that uh, is pitting the Biden administration against every American who wants his and her freedom. 
and wants their families safe and protected from that level of government interference. Yeah, Lou, and uh, where I am in Pennsylvania, we bring on a woman who won 133 school board seats in November in the last go-round, organizing across the state. It was the year of making school boards into a major deal, these boring type of things they drone on usually. These became incredible here. And you're right, parents have taken power back. They're running for school board. They're on school boards. They're monitoring this. They're opening up debates about some of the books that have been involved here. And most times, the questions on some of these books have been legitimate. I don't endorse everyone, but most debates have been really, we're going to do that with eight to 10 year olds, that type of approach. It's all opened up. And politically, Democrats have basically been defending the side of the school boards, et cetera. That is an issue that brings suburbanites to listen again to what the Republican Party should be about and can be about. Uh, and Republican, Democrat, if uh, a school board isn't listening to parents and putting their students first, then they, that's a problem. And that problem should be resolved. And those people should be moved off that board. Those teachers should be moved out of that school. That administration should be moved out. Uh, and we can't have a situation that we do now in this country where the teachers unions have such immense power that they basically are entrenched. Now, what, I, what I'd like to know is, do you think it's about time that everybody understood that the Biden administration is trying to seize control of the federal government, the deep state for the Democratic Party in perpetuity with its efforts to unionize three million, over three million federal employees and the millions of contractors that support the federal government. Uh, this is outrageous. Uh, I would agree. I, you know, I don't know day to day with uh, Biden, Lou. It's very hard to tell what he knows and what he doesn't know. But certainly the people around him, the ones we know and others, this is what they're all about. They see the window closing with the midterms coming up. This is their generational shot to cement these things. And once they're in there, like Obamacare, we know how difficult it is to get rid of them. Well, we do know one thing. Uh, the teachers unions are entrenched and every school district in the country that is not uh, run by the left uh, is in desperate need of removing those unions uh, to, uh, to work as hard as they can to return local control, parental control, citizen control, to their school boards, to their communities. Dom, as always on this uh, on this podcast, we uh, we give the guest our uh, the final word, and if you will, take it away. Well, Lou, thank you uh, very much. Uh, my final word is uh, the Great America Show. It's everything I thought it would be with Lou, and I'm so thrilled to see you involved in this tough act to follow. I don't know your last guest may have been President Trump, and uh, I've never seen. A more exciting time, Lou, despite what we talked about, all the downside, what the left is up to. I look at uh, how the left is now having to say they didn't say defund police and the stuff that President Biden's trying to do on this. I have a lot of hope going forward. And uh, this uh, podcast, uh, I think, is a great vehicle. I know how much our listeners appreciate it. So, Lou, thank you as always. It's always an honor to be with you. Tom, thank you. Appreciate it, old friend. Uh, all the best to you. Have fun, and we'll talk soon. Don Giordano. Appreciate it. And thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Uh, we wish you the very best until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow. Please, uh, please join us then. God bless you all, and God bless America. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.